Welcome to Birth Mystics with your hosts, Stephanie and Katie. What are the formative birth stories in your life? It's really helpful to ask yourself this question when you are preparing to give birth. And you'll start to think more analytically about the birth stories that you have inherited and have collected over your life. You might start to think about the birth stories of your closest friends. Um, Were they traumatic? Were they beautiful? Were they inspiring? How did these stories affect them? And furthermore, how did their telling of these stories affect you? You'll likely be thinking of your family members, maybe your sisters or sisters-in-law or your mother and how she relayed uh, your birth story to you or the birth, the births of your siblings. Um, if you go further back, you might start thinking of how much th- your ancestors' birth stories have affected you and kind of imprinted upon you your own paradigm of birth and culture of birth. For sure, if you haven't acknowledged it, media is hugely influencing your whole perception of what birth is or is not. And this is a process that I take my clients through in the Bhava Birth Retreats to help them become more cognitively aware of all of the birth stories circling around them and how they're all holding some measure of influence over them. And we do a little bit of a sifting process to help them really hold on to the birth stories that are serving them well and then help them reframe and process and work through the ones that are not serving their ultimate goals for their own birth experience. But one that maybe gets overlooked or um, maybe one that we wouldn't necessarily connect to a formative birth story is that of a creation story. I believe that we are only as good as our creation story allows us to be. Yes, creation stories show us where we came from, but just as importantly, creation stories can actually show us where we're headed. It's as if the creation story embodies the entire spectrum of human potential, who we are from the get-go, but then also what is the capacity, like what is the fullest measure of my creation and how can I rise to that? Now, in my upbringing, and I'm sure this is going to resonate a lot with you, Katie, and many mm. of our listeners, I was raised in the, the uh, paradigm of, of Western Christianity. And so for me, I was told the story of Adam and Eve, and that was the formative creation story of my life. It wasn't until well into adulthood that I have had a lot of fun exploring many creation stories throughout the world, one of those being evolution and the scientific creation story and really making peace with, you know, science and religion and mythology and all of these aspects of my childhood. But I didn't have that, um, you know, a decade ago, uh, 15 years ago when I was first becoming, um, stepping into the, the path of parenthood. And so I was largely but also subconsciously influenced very heavily by that formative creation story. 
So I really want to unpack that, if I might. Let's <laughs> Can we explore yes, a little bit of, of Adam and Eve? <laughs> now, Eve particularly, I would say, was the most prominent female icon that I had been encouraged to actually emulate. And I took that really seriously because there were so few. You know, if, if yeah. you think back at your life and your upbringing, how many female role models did you really have? Now, we could think of like real life people like, oh, my grandma, my sister, my aunt. That's beautiful. But I want you to think about like historically. I want, to think, I want you to think about um, scripturally, since we're talking maybe through the, the Western Christian lens just for now. Um, and I want you to think, um, even like in your ancestral line, like how many women actually have their stories told? It's shockingly few. Yeah. And so because Eve in my particular upbringing was so celebrated, I was like, woohoo, finally, there's like this woman that is like revered. I, I have since learned that this is not necessarily the case for all of Christianity. There are plenty of Christian sects who do not speak so highly of Eve. Yeah. Um, and so that could be its own conversation. But in my upbringing, that was not the case. She was very much revered. But I will say there's some paradox within that. Because as I sat with that, and even though I was like so excited to have such a a female icon to look to, um, I started to uncover so many contradictions that were very confusing to me. And so I wanted to emulate her. I wanted to, to be her like I had been encouraged to do. But at the same time, why was she being punished for those good things that she did? Or why... Um, even though she was so desirous to be obedient, why did she ultimately disobey? Question after question would come where I thought, this is such a good idea, but what the heck does it look like in application to be like Eve? Mm. Um, so it sent me on kind of a fun <laughs> like, journey, I guess, to really figure her out because I felt she was a bit of an anomaly or some kind of like unicorn. I'm just like, I don't think I actually get you. Yeah. And I have no idea how to actually emulate you, even though I think you're cool. Well, push, put a pin in that because then all of these other areas of interest are, were happening in my life. And one of them was yoga. So I'm going through yoga teacher trainings, reading these different like esoteric books and reading gurus and all sorts of fun, fascinating things. And because we already did a whole episode on Kundalini, I can kind of wrap it up in a nutshell and just say that that was a huge catalyst for me. Mm. When I started to read in Eastern teachings about this mystical feminine power that was represented as a serpent, some little like flag just went up inside of my body. And I thought that's another contradiction, yet another paradox that I'm coming back to this Adam and Eve story and I and I have some confusion. So how is it that in Eastern traditions, the serpent is this sacred feminine wisdom? And in my Western culture, the serpent is represented as this male Satan devil trickster that you cannot trust. And 
why does Eve get caught in the middle of these two versions of that symbology? Because on one hand, I've, I've been told Eve is so wise. She represents wisdom and we should emulate her. And also she was beguiled by the devil. <laughs> and I'm like, well, which one is it? Yeah. I cannot reconcile these two narratives. And so this is why this creation story was really affecting my ability to feel empowered and to, and to feel embodied and to like see with clarity the kind of woman I was trying to become. And it was limiting my capacity for growth until I felt like I could crack this mystery. So here's where I want to bring it together, where kind of East and West started to merge for me. And it was when I came upon the myth of Lilith and how she weaves together into the myth of Eve. So if I may, I will share her, her story, which deserves to be told. Yes, please. Um, it comes from the, from the Midrash. If anyone wants to look up her original story, you can just Google this and it's called the alphabet of Ben Sarah. And this is ancient Hebrew mythology. And the story goes that before Eve, there was another woman in the garden. She was known as Adam's first wife, and her name was Lilith. Lilith was just absolutely in love with her life, in love with Adam, and they had a beautiful garden in which to live and to grow. And as time went on, Eve began to desire a little bit of more equality in her relationship with Adam. And it was said that whenever they would make love, sometimes Lilith would kind of mix things up a little bit and she would be the one on top. Mm-hmm. But Adam did not like this. And he would immediately say, no, you have to stay on bottom. I am the man. I will be on top. After enough times of this, and likely this was a conversation that was happening in probably every area of their life, Lilith had had enough, and she realized that she was never going to be Adam's equal, and that he had it in his mind that he was going to be her head. And so she simply decided to call out the name of God, which was forbidden, and she did it anyway. And in so doing, in calling out the name of God, it said that she grew wings and she flew out of the garden. However, the myth says that this angered Adam. And Adam called out to God himself and said, this woman that you gave me, she's left. She just left me, God. Like, what are we going to do about this? So God sends these seraphim to chase after Lilith. And from there, the myth kind of evolves over the centuries and it says that she was punished by God and that she was she became a succubus and she would come copulate with men in the night and she was this wanton sexual beast that um, would give you lustful thoughts and it got so far in Jewish history that she became this demon that would even come prey on your young sweet innocent newborn babies So in many Jewish traditions, they created amulets to ward off the evil spirit of Lilith that would come and and take your baby in in the night, which likely they were experiencing SIDS, you know, and they were trying to find a story to explain why their baby would have died in the night, right? 
So that's a heavy myth. And it didn't sit very well with me in the same way that my own Adam and Eve story had left me with more questions than answers. But then I read this other aspect of, of the Lilith story that merged these two for the first time. And in fact, the, I feel like there had been clues all along that I hadn't ever quite pinpointed. So if you actually start looking up different artwork of the Adam and Eve story, and you go kind of further back and further back into some of the classical paintings and depictions, you have likely seen the serpent portrayed with the face of a woman. And if you've ever seen that and been a little bit stumped by it, what you're seeing is some Hebrew mythology coming into that depiction because it also said that when Adam remarried and chose you know, Eve as his next bride, that she, that Lilith decided to come back to the garden in order to help Eve navigate her choices and that she came in the form of a serpent and she, she wanted to mentor Eve and help her understand that taking, partaking of the fruit would be the only way that she could become an equal to Adam. And boy, that, that resolved some things for me. When I started to see all along, though I had been encouraged to be like Eve, I had also been essentially commanded to spurn the serpent, to, to ignore or to push away or to suppress or to not be susceptible to anything that the devilish serpent would have to say to me. When all along, if I went into deeper roots of this story, it was as if the serpent was the very thing that represented our inherent wisdom. It was our intuition. It was our feminine power. And these were the things that I was being commanded to spurn. And so that's when a, he- like a lot of healing started to take place as I was able to rework this creation story because I began to even see even Lilith as not two separate women, but what if these were just two parts of women, of one woman that had been kind of separated out. And there was one myth that said, this is what it's like. This is what it means to be an acceptable woman, to be like Eve. It means to be long suffering. It means to be patient. It means to be kind. It means to be loving. It means to, um, be supportive and obedient. But everything that um, Lilith represents is demonic and, and you'll turn into a succubus and you'll be punished by God. And that is to be equal to your partner, to have sexual desire, to um, basically be like an emancipated woman. And these things are so evil that whoever was telling these myths had to make it very clear and very black and white that one was good, one was bad. And for me, it was the serpent that kind of brought these two broken parts of woman back together. And I realized, you know, what if instead of spurning the the serpent, that's what Eve was showing us all along. Um, The great paradox is that we were 
being encouraged to be like one of the most rebellious women in, in all of the scriptures. You know, Eve is like the ultimate rebel, yeah. especially when she's merged back with this other half known as Lilith. Like to me, they really are these two parts of, of one woman. Here's something I want to kind of bring to you, Katie, and to those of you listening. As a potential exercise, let's take a minute and list some qualities that we feel from these two archetypes, and let's talk about how they might translate into our birth experience and how we show up in that space and well into our our parenthood as well. So like I listed some things for Eve Maybe you can help me out this time. What are some other qualities you see in her that she represents? I mentioned obedience. I mentioned... Innocence. Innocence. I love that one. Um, she's also hardworking. Like, she works hard in the garden. Yeah. I think she's, like, responsible. Yeah. She represents... Um, I'm going to see this through. I'm committed. Um, you know, if you were to look up pictures, dutiful, if you were to look up pictures of Eve and contrast it to pictures of Lilith, and all of these are obviously like art artists interpretations of them, but interestingly that there's such a theme (laughs) in these Mm -hmm. interpretations, most of the time you'll see Eve represented very, almost prepubescently. So a lot of times she has like a very flat chest or if she does have breasts, they're just like very, very unsexual. Mm. (laughs) Um, Certainly don't see a lot of like sexy curves of Eve. Oh no, I'm saying sexual depending on the age because there was definitely an age where tiny little prepubescent boobs were. Was totally the thing, right? Like all the statues with a little boop. Yes, and then go look at pictures of Lilith. (laughs) So whoever's interpreting Lilith is interpreting her with a very curvaceous body. Um, She usually has flaming red hair. She's often like wrapped up in this like anaconda snake and she's Mm -hmm. like very naughty. Um, Black, a lot of black robes mm -hmm. with Lilith. Absolutely. So with those qualities of Eve, let us imagine ways in which those qualities can serve us in the birth space and ways that they might hinder. And then we get to pick and choose and say, you know, these ones are serving me. In fact, it was in our last episode that you used that phrase, this is no longer serving me. Let's use that same rubric. So where could Eve's hardworking quality serve us in the labor space? I think she was more grounded too, like grounded and mm-hmm. more system, systematic, but something along that direction. And I think that like invites us to be the thoroughness of preparation. How or in what ways can I, can I prepare myself? In what ways can I do what I need to do for my body, for my baby? And kind of that simple preparation. That's very Eve-esque. Yeah, it's like if she had a checklist, Eve's going to like not only check everything off, but probably add a few more things to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of an overachiever vibe. Yeah. And which is the kind of woman I strived to be. It's like, I'm going to keep all the commandments and probably like come up with some of my own too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You know, I'm going to be such a good girl. <laughs> and that can really pay off in certain ways. Like you said, it can help us really tick all the boxes and like be thorough. How about long suffering? Mm-hmm. how could that play into the birth space not reaching out for help and feeling like you have to do it all yourself 
not expressing needs because you feel like you just need to hold it on. Hold so on this to... is more on the detriment side then, right? Yes. Yeah. Like there's the good side where you are able to deal with a lot. Like you do have a high capacity to persevere. There you go. Because the... labor is hard. Yeah. It is like, if we are honest, it is just hard work. And if you do have the ability to endure and see that through, like that will serve you really well. And yes. then like Katie said, here's some ways that it won't serve you. Yeah. <laughs> I was already skipping ahead. No, it's great. Like you can go too far. Like you can go past the point where you're not coping, but you still don't advocate for yourself. Yeah. And you're like, that's okay. I'm the martyr. I'm a victim to this. It's my lot. A lot of times, like, um, I feel like in our culture, at least you talk a little about the story. We, the story of creation, the birth story that we hear is that birth is kind of the price you pay for a newborn. Like the newborn's the prize and Hmm. birth is the price interesting um i feel like that was kind of like nobody really talked about it but it was like you get a baby like they pumped up the baby and how beautiful this be a mother yeah. and how wonderful newborns are and the, but they, the birth was like this hush hush like that's just what you have to go through mm-hmm. in order to get this awesome thing right um so i think that's a little bit of like the eve perseverance is like this is going to be all worth it at the end i'm just going to grin and bear it yeah um without seeing the potential in it or maybe being as willing to to open up to different ways of doing things. Like, I think it's a little more like you said, this is the one way, these are the commandments and this is what mm-hmm. I'm going to do. And that's the path I'm on rather than asking yourself, is this right for me? Does this feel good? Does this feel whole? Is this the path I need to take? It's beautiful. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's look at Eve's obedience and how can this both serve us and at some point also become a detriment. I would think, um, like if there were such a thing as like birth commandments, <laughs> they might look like, oh, um, I'm going to meditate every day in preparation for when my baby comes. And I'm also going to eat like a green smoothie for breakfast and make a, a delicious, healthy salad for lunch. And like a heavy protein for dinner. I'm going to exercise f- for sure, like five times a week and you know, like on and on and on and on, like you could create a stellar list of birth commandments and you could set out with that Eve, you know, mentality to keep all of those commandments. And here's the thing. I know some that have, like, I know some of those moms out there that have just like rocked it. However, does obedience to all of these birth commandments always yield eternal happiness on the other side of that? Mm -hmm. Does it guarantee the birth of your dreams does it guarantee no birth trauma? Does it guarantee a perfect unmedicated delivery at home in the candlelight? It doesn't. And that's where there can be a lot of like dashed expectations. So it's not that doing the things is the problem, but maybe when we approach it as my self-worth is wrapped up in this, or like I will be blessed by God if I do all of these things right, that's when obedience can actually come back to like whiplash us. Does that make I was going to say obedience too has a level of other, someone else has the power. Someone else has laid out this plan. Oh, I else, really like that. Someone else decides what a good birth looks like. Someone else mm-hmm. has this commandments that I'm supposed to follow. And yeah. um, that can play out in a lot of different ways in taking ownership and actually asking ourselves what is good. Obedience can also be detrimental if you put your faith in providers, for example, wow. who um, are not 
looking at you as an individual, but one size fits all and maybe has yeah. their own agenda, as we know is this case in mm-hmm. the U.S. hospital system and in most places in the world. Um, that when you put that power in other people's hands, that obedience is always you're obeying something or someone else. I like that. We've externalized the authority. Yeah. And I never had thought that the word obedience in and of itself does typically take us outside of ourselves. And is there a way, like, let's flip it now. Like, is there a way how that obedience can serve us if we are simply being obedient to something internal? Mm-hmm. And what would that look like and feel like? I think that depends on your how you visualize God and how you visualize that that relationship works. Because I mm-hmm. think that a lot of people's, for them, spirituality is like God and me, we're like the same. Like I can access God inside of me and my intuition yeah. is, is God related. And it's not as much of like, I'm putting my obedience outside. Yeah. But there are many religions who do say like, this is the, this is the one size fits all for mm-hmm. all humanity and everybody should do this. And this is how you're going to find happiness and mm-hmm. heaven. Yeah. Um, so I think that's like, that really depends on how you see that obedience factor in your life. Cause I think there can be this level of that is part of surrender mm-hmm. is finding people you trust and giving them something like giving them some power, not power over power with or power, but you do hand them something. Mm-hmm. And, but that's, I have the full trust. You're going to do what's best for me. And so I am allowing you to have this bit of, of weight over and I'm going to value your opinion and I'm going to trust you, but being very conscious of, just being very conscious of, of what is that dynamic and am I choosing to give that power or am I handing all of it away and what is, um, what is the return? Fantastic. Then with that, let us shift over to Lilith. Let's explore this other column of qualities and reclaim Lilith's character because in my opinion, she has been vilified for simply being audacious enough to have these very bold qualities that someone along the way determined were not ladylike, were not feminine, were not docile, were not the kind of woman that we value. And I think we can really take a closer look at some of her qualities and do the same process. There could be times where Lilith's qualities would be a detriment to us and there would be times that we would want to actually claim them and explore them and bring them into our own birth experience. So, you know, maybe one of the first ones that she's known for is her rebelliousness for basically calling it quits on Adam and just saying, I ain't going to put up with that. I'm out. Or even just wanting, wanting equality. That was the precursor. Yeah. She's just like, this is a yearning, a desire. And it sounds like she tried to advocate for that. She took steps to be like, how about we mix it up a little bit? And we have some, uh, what's the word? Egalitarianism in Eden. You know, I get to be in charge sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. That's all I'm asking for is sometimes. And it was too much according to the myth. Mm -hmm. So let's have fun with that. How can that serve us in the birth space? How could that be a detriment? Um, I think sometimes people become so anti-authority that they, like I kind of mentioned before with Eve, that they have a hard time placing that trust. Mm-hmm. Like they almost have a skepticism of everyone and all and their motives. 
Yeah. And I do know some women. I've had some clients who I feel like veer in that direction where they are generally questioning of of any birth provider's motivations. Yeah. And that can be hard because you never really feel safe and you never, you're always kind of, that'll always kind of be bothering you in the back of your mind. And that's not a very healthy place to operate from. Like you need to find... You can be very alone. Yeah, you feel very lonely. And that was certainly the path that Lilith ended up choosing was she's like, I'd rather go fly off into no man's land than be here where things are perfect. So maybe she's a little bit of an idealist and maybe that's when you could see how that didn't serve her. Now let's do that same one in reverse and say how that could also be a really amazing quality. Uh, This makes me think of the births where a provider has done something and the client has made it so clear that that's unacceptable and they basically say, you're done. Like you're not my provider anymore. I want to work with somebody else. Get out of my birth space. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of my birth space. And how powerful to witness that level of advocacy when a line gets crossed and they have what it takes to just step up and say, no, we're done. No, no. That is like Lilith's word is no. (laughs) Whereas Eve's word might be yes. In fact, she said yes to the fruit and she said yes to the, like, there's something beautiful about that too, which is why this story never made sense to me until I could see both of these characters coming back into one hole. And when I could find how that serpent linked these two women together, like inside of me, you know, as much as, as in the story. I have the quote that said, like, it said something about how women are way too fast to say yes and way too slow to say no. Oh, interesting. And that's part of the people pleaser culture, right? Yeah. It's like, I don't want to deal with the consequences of a no, mm-hmm. so I'll just say yes. And how becoming like an empowered embodied woman, part of that is learning that a yes should only be a hell yes and uh, everything else should be a no. Or why not a hell no? <laughs> yeah, why not a hell no? <laughs> yeah. And that there's that operating space of like, we all know somewhere how that feels when we say yes to something that does not feel right. Like mm-hmm. that, that, for me, it shows up in this constriction in my throat. It's like, what have I just done? It's like, <laughs> I really, 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 mm-hmm. really do not want this. It's like our bodies know when we've lied, like essentially yeah. when we've not spoken our truth. And to say yes, when you don't feel a hell yes, is not a truth and your body will tell you through the form of constriction and all these different symptoms that you'll start to feel. Mm-hmm. And what is it? A yes, a hell yes, is it bubbles out. Yes. Ah, yes, yes. Like, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and the same should go with a no. Like I think as we embody mm-hmm. Lilith and as we're trying to embody these qualities that the no should be is immediate. No. Mm. Like just, I don't have to think about it. With no I shame. I can just feel it in myself. With no apologizing at the end where you said, sorry, s- like, you sorry, 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 oh, I'm no, so sorry. sorry. That was probably just like kind of harsh, but, but like, I just really can't. It's not going to work for me, but I'm yeah. so sorry. Like I'm, okay. you're such a great person. <laughs> it's me. It's, it's me, not you. Yeah. It's like, me, not you. <laughs> that people, oh, how many apologize have come? It's like, no, sorry. No, like, I'm so mm-hmm. sorry. No, just, I don't want that. I don't want that IV. Yeah. Where it's like, just say, no, that's not working for me. Mm-hmm. Like how powerful it is. Why is it so powerful? <laughs> but it is. When women unapologetically say no. There's some, there's this, yeah. there's this energy it's and this ownership. power around it. It's ownership. Yeah, that is so beautiful because yeah. I think in our culture, we're really used to no's being seldom mm-hmm. and hesitant. Yeah. And that we don't really know what it looks like when someone's just like, no. 
Like, that's not going to work for me. Just the straight Microphone no. drop. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. A period. Like, end, exactly. full sentence, no. Mm-hmm. How, how rare that is. Yeah. So I love that about Lilith. I love no for Lilith. Yeah. I do too. It's one of her themes. So honestly, we could go on and on and just pulling out these beautiful qualities from both women. And what I don't want to do is now vilify Eve and make her into the new villain and Lilith is like the new hero. Because I actually did that for a little while and it was healing. Like I spent some time there and and maybe you need to too. Um, And I had to kind of explore my bad girl and just be like, what's it like to just finally give myself permission to to say no all the time and, you know, all, you know, all these different aspects, but truth be told, I've, I've come full circle and it's like, no, Eve, Eve brings balance and She's Lilith, grounded. Absolutely. Lilith is not grounded. Exactly. Lilith's, Lilith's the chaos, yeah. which we need. We need her in doses. But just we like also we, need the grounding. Yeah. And if you're anything like me, you've, you've, you're probably oversaturated on the Eve side. And so you're probably going to be disproportionate for a while and in, and you might need a little extra Lilith until you can find that beautiful middle ground of, of how these two balance each other. So I want to actually leave you, those that are listening, with a little bit of a homework assignment. I want you to, to do what Katie and I just did, pull out a notebook, but instead of two columns, I invite you to do three. So one will be an Eve column, one will be a Lilith column, and then I want you to actually do a column for the serpent, because if anybody's really been vilified in all of this, I would say it would be that particular symbol. Um, I don't want to say that Western Christianity has it wrong. I would say that it is incomplete. And so you can look at it now with a little bit of the Eastern lens and say, whoa, how does the Eastern story inform the Western story and how could they balance each other out and then think about what are some of the qualities that both East and West tell us of the serpent and then how could I bring that into my birth space as well because for me that was the intuition piece and the embodiment piece and you'll have a lot of fun sifting through that and then part two of this birth preparation process I invite you to go Google search, go down all the rabbit holes of Google into looking at pictures of these two incredible women in mythology. And that will help you as you go through the, the checklist, not checklist, but the, uh, the columns, because I want you to actually see their images. I want to, I want you to feel their energy. I want you to observe their body language. I want you to observe their, their movement and how artists have depicted them and to think also in in terms of body and what that would look like in your birth space. Thank you for joining us as we step into darkness, knowing we will find light.